Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and uh, we're going to read verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this night that we can join together in this place and come together around your word. Lord, we thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you for the truths of this glorious book. And tonight as we seek to unpick just some other uh, thoughts from it, Father, I pray that you give me wisdom from on high. Lord, help me to remember that which I've studied and help me, Father, to be a blessing uh, to those who hear your word this night. Bless each and every one of us as we sit down and listen to your word, that, Lord, that you would enable us to engage with your truth to learn from you, Father God, and be blessed by it. And guide our time, we pray now in your word. Give us wisdom, we pray. And go before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you know, we've been looking at this, some of the benefits of justification, or seven benefits of justification, or seven blessings that we obtain simply because we're saved, listed for us here in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And we've seen that we have peace with God, we have access into the presence of God, we have hope, we have glory in tribulation. Last week we saw the fifth blessing, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost in Romans 5, 5. Now tonight we're going to continue to discuss this fifth benefit of justification because it doesn't actually just cover verse 5, it actually covers right down to verse 11. We're going to have a look at this fifth benefit of justification. And Paul compels you and I to pay attention to the context at the beginning of verse 6. He used the word for. Look in verse 6 there. For when we were yet without strength. For. And so we're compelled here to take notice of what was said beforehand. So what comes before this is the connection to what he's talking about here in this passage. In other words, he's following on from something that's already been said. As one commentator said, he's going to introduce an argument to substantiate something that has gone before, namely the certainty and the finality of our salvation in Jesus Christ. The whole object of the statement beginning at verse 6 and ending at verse 11 is to substantiate and to confirm the benefits of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul begins to work out in detail one line of the argument that he's already introduced to us. And the line of argument that he introduced to us in verse 5 is the love of God. And so now he's going to pick up that thought, the love of God. Remember the, the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit he's going to pick up again in chapter 8. But right here in chapter 6 he wants to pick up a theme. And the theme he's picking up is the, th love, is the love of God. He said to you and I that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us, in verse 5. And now in verses 6 through 11, he is concerned that we should realize fully what that means. What is meant by the love of God? What is the significance of the love of God? What is the character of the love of God? He wants you and I to see that nothing can, be, can give greater assurance to you and I of the certainty of our salvation and the finality of our salvation, that's glorification, than the love of God. And to that end, we're told in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, that uh, 
When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ heard from the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man would even, one, uh, even dare to die, but God commended his love towards us, that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're told here in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, why God loved us and what his love accomplished for us. In describing for you and I the greatness of God's love, he is going to show you and I that it was given to the undeserving, to those who were without strength, to the ungodly, to sinners like you and I. And this in turn emphasized the fact that the reasons for God's love are found in him and not in us. God loved us because of who God is, not because of what we are. God loved us because God is love, not because of what we've done. God's love finds its foundation in God himself, in his very character, not in us. The Lord wants you and I to understand that salvation is all of God. And that it has to be all of God because firstly, we are powerless to save ourselves. We are powerless to save ourselves. That's what he says at the beginning of verse 6. For when we were yet without strength. Now as we come to this great section in Romans, the Lord, you, Lord wants you and I to understand the nature and the character of the love of God. And he starts this section, verses 6 through 11, he starts this section with one of the most wonderful verses in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And this has been called the John 3.16 of the book of Romans. You know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Romans 5.6 has been named the John 3.16 of the book of Romans, for when we were yet without strength, Christ died for, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In fact, Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says everything that needs to be said about the love of God in, in one verse. And he's going to expand it further in verses 7 through 11. But here in verse 6, we have given to us in one statement, one verse, all that needs to be said about God's love. And then in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, the apostle is going to go on and elaborate on the truths of Romans chapter 6, verse 6. In case we fail to understand the greatness of God's love, he explains it to us in verses 7 and following. Look at verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man would... Uh, some would even dare to die. But God commends love towards us, and while we yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies with, uh, sorry, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. When we read those verses, you might have heard something familiar in those verses. Because it's true to say that what's been taught in verses 6 through 11 has already been taught in Romans chapter 3, 
verses 24 to 26. Go back to Romans chapter 3, please. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. It says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth propitiation through faith in his blood, declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believe in Jesus. In Romans chapter 5 and verses 6 through 11, the apostle seems to repeat, not word for word, but seems to repeat what he's already been taught in Romans chapter 3. So why? Why does he take the time now to revisit a subject he's already taught about in Romans chapter 3? He taught about justification. He talked about the fact that Christ died for our justification. He taught about the fact that we need to be saved, that we can only be saved by what Christ did. And Christ had to die so that God could be just and the justifier of them that believe. Now he tells us, in Romans chapter 5, similar things. Verse 9, he talks about we're justified by his blood. That we've saved from the wrath to come. He talks about the fact we were enemies. And so, uh, but we were reconciled by his death. So what he's taught in Romans 3, he now repeats in Romans 5. But why? Well, the reason for the repetition of this is this. Romans chapter 5 has a different object or a different emphasis than Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, as he brings to conclusion this damning assessment of mankind in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, how that we've all fallen short of God's glory, how that we're all sinners before a holy God, as he brings that all to a close, he wants to show to you and I, in Romans chapter 3, Show to you and I there was no method or way of justification apart from faith in Jesus Christ. That the only means to be saved was by faith in Christ. Now here in Romans chapter 5, he is concerned to show not so much the way of salvation as he is to show you and I the love that devised such salvation. Okay, so Romans 3 is the way of justification, how we get justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 is now, what was the plan? What, what drove God to justify us? What drove God to send his son to die for us? It's the love of God that devised the method of salvation, the method of justification that he has in mind here in chapter 5. To put it simply, it's the love of God that has been expounded here in chapter 5. Justification being expounded in chapter 3, the love of God being expounded here in chapter 5. Therefore, though we have repeated for us some of the elements, virtually the same statement of chapter 3, the motive and the objective is different. As I said, the whole objective of chapter 5 is to show us the love of God. Not our love for God, but his love for us. You see, our salvation and the assurance of eternal life and ultimately our assurance of glorification depend not on our love for God, but on God's love for us. It's the love of God that devised the plan of salvation. The love of God that devised the plan of eternal salvation. The love of God that devised our glorification and 
Our glorification is dependent upon the love of God, not upon our love for God, but God's love for us. Go to chapter 8. We read this last week, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also make the intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor depth, and no height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. It's the love of God that gives you and I the certainty of and the finality of salvation. Not our love for God, but God's love for us. And the whole point of Romans chapter 5 here is to emphasize this matter of God's love. That it's because God loved us that we can be saved. It's because God loved us that we can rest assured that we're going to have eternal salvation. It's because God loves us that we are guaranteed glorification. You see, our outlook would be precarious, wouldn't it, if it was based upon our love for God. If if it was our love for God that depended upon us getting saved, then none of us would have been saved. And if it's our love for God that makes ensures our glorification, some of us will be in serious strife. Because we all, don't we, from time to time, fail to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. But praise God, my salvation, my glorification, your salvation, your glorification is not dependent, and your eternal security is not dependent upon your love for God. It's dependent upon God's love for us. And God's love is absolute. It's his love that matters. And that is what the apostle is unfolding for you and I here in Romans chapter 5. Now when we come to this passage of scripture, in Romans chapter 5, we're given a pretty bleak picture of what we're really like. He paints a picture, but it's not a flattering picture of us. And yet God loves us. The first thing that we note the Bible says about you and I is this, that we're powerless to save ourselves. Verse 6. For when we're yet without strength, without strength. The word used here for without strength is usually applied to those who are sick, those who are feeble, those who are deprived of strength by disease. You choose that way in Acts chapter 4 and verse 9 where we read, If we this day be examined of, good, of, a, of the good deed done to the impotent man, same word, by what means he is made whole. The impotent man was without strength. It's also used in a moral sense to denote inability or feebleness 
regarding any undertaking or duty. It's used that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things, same word, of the world to confound the things which are mighty, the weak things, without strength. But here in Romans chapter 5, it means that we had no power to devise a scheme of salvation, devise a scheme of justification, devise a scheme whereby we can make atonement for our sin, a scheme whereby we could put away the wrath of God, and so on, and list those things. It's used here in that context that you and I are without strength, there is no ability within you and I to devise a way of salvation, to devise a way of atonement, to devise a way of satisfying the righteous demands of God, a way of justification. There is no means, there is no capacity within us to do that. And at the same time, it means that all hope of man being saved by any plan of his own is taken away. You and I were without strength. You and I were powerless to save ourselves. Simply put, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. You and I cannot save ourselves. Look in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There is no way that you and I can save ourselves. We are powerless. We are without strength. That means that you and I have, do not have sufficient power within ourselves to improve our condition spiritually. You know, some people think that by reading a book or following some philosophy or seeking some religious practice, they can improve their circumstances. That somehow, by going to church, that somehow by doing good deeds, that somehow by being religious, by somehow by following some self-help book, that somehow they can improve their spiritual condition of themselves. Well, that's not true. There is no other way of salvation than God's way. And there's only one way of salvation, and that's God's way. Isn't that what Christ said in John 14? I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh the Father but by me. Isn't that what Acts 4.12 says? Neither is the salvation any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one means of salvation, that's Jesus Christ. God provided a plan that met his righteous demands and he secured our salvation by enacting that plan. See, Romans chapter 3 is about that plan. What God did to ensure that he was just and the justifier of them that believe. Christ died for our sins so that you and I could be saved. That's Romans 3. Romans chapter 6 demonstrates to us that behind that is this motivation of God, the love of God, because you see, you and I could not save ourselves. There was no means we were powerless to save ourselves. 
We must always remember that we did not save ourselves because you and I were without strength. Salvation is all of God. Never forget that. You and I are saved because of what God did. You and I are saved because God loved us. You and I are saved because God devised a plan of salvation for you and I. And that plan was driven by his love for sinners like you and I. And we must remember that salvation is all of God, not only because we are powerless to save ourselves, but secondly, because we were ungodly. Look at the second half of the verse. For when we were yet with that strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. This word ungodly is an amazing word. To be ungodly means that you and I are unlike God. This is what we're even addressed in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. To be ungodly means to fall short of God's glory. To be ungodly means to be unrighteous. To be ungodly means that God's image upon man has become defaced. See, when the Bible says that you and I are ungodly, it means that when we look at all the positive attributes of God, the exact opposite is true of us. For instance, God is perfect. We are imperfect. God is love. We're not very loving in and of ourselves. God is forgiving, but we don't always forgive. In fact, sometimes we like to hold grudges. God is holy. We are unholy. And you could list attribute after attribute after attribute of God, and every attribute of God, which is true of him, the opposite is true of us in our unsaved state in particular. We were ungodly. For every positive attribute of God, the opposite is true of us. Paul says it is with this truth in mind, that you and I must see the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Think about it. God sheds his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost the moment you and I are saved. Why? Because he loves us, not because of what we are. We are ungodly. We receive the abundance of the love of God in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, even though we're undeserving, wretched sinners. And we need to understand the love of God in the context of what we are. We are ungodly. Paul reveals to you and me the unusual and amazing character, the unusual and amazing nature of the love of God, of God's love towards us. That God loves you and I, why we were ungodly, undeserving of God's love. That's what he says in verses 7 and 8, isn't it? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, and while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love to you and I while we were yet sinners. 
God shows his love to you and I while we were ungodly. God's love is amazing. Because, you see, you and I were that strength. You and I were powerless to rescue ourselves. You and I were in the middle of the ocean drowning. We had no means of saving ourselves. We were drowning in the sea of sin. We were going under for the third time. There was no means of saving ourselves. But God in his love reached down from heaven's glory. And by faith, when you and I placed our faith and trust in God, he plucked us out of that raging sea and planted our feet upon the solid ground. Not because we deserved it. Not because you and I uh, uh, gave anything to God that caused him to re- uh, be required to show it to us, but gave it to us because he loved us. You and I were powerless to do anything to save ourselves. We have been tossed about in the wretched sea of sin. We were lost without hope. But God saved us. At the appointed time, Christ motivated by this amazing love, not by human merit, died for us the ungodly. And that's what he says here in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now it's easy to skip the in due time. And you read this verse, you read the powerful statement that we were without strength, and the powerful statement that we were ungodly, and then what we have a tendency to do is go straight to verses 7 and 8, don't we? Particularly verse 8, because we love verse 8. God commanded his love towards us in the while yet sinners Christ died for us. One of the great verses of the Bible, isn't it? And I wonder how many are, are, are guilty as I was this week as I was reading this verse, trying to prepare for this sermon. I'm skipping, uh, skipping over those little words in due time. Three little words in due time. But you know, that phrase in due time <coughs> means in the appointed time. It carries with it the suggestion of in the appropriate time as well as the appointed time. You see, what's been said here is that this divine plan of salvation, which was driven by the love of God, the thing that brought about the plan of salvation is God's love for you and I, This love for you and I, who are powerless to save ourselves, who are ungodly, wretched before a holy God, was planned sometime in the past and came to fruition at the appointed time. Now think about that. Before the world was made, before man was created, before time came into existence, God planned this mighty and glorious way of salvation because he loved us. He hadn't even met us in that sense. We weren't even created yet, but he loved us. God had planned in eternity past that at a given point in history, his son, would leave heaven's glory and would come into this world in order to make an atonement 
for you and me. In order to die and shed his blood for you and me, God in eternity past made a plan before ever he created the earth, before ever he created time and space and matter, before God created human beings, before man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God in eternity past decided that sometime in history he would send his son to die for undeserving sinners like you and I because we have no power to save ourselves. Now meditate on that for a little while and it'll do your head in. The God who sits outside of time, in eternity, plans in eternity that sometime in time he will send his son to die for those he has not yet created is a remarkable fact. And you know Christ did come and Christ did die and he did shed his blood upon the cross of Calvary so that you could be saved and I could be saved. He died to make salvation possible for all those who will place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He died for all so that all might be saved and all those who place their faith and trust in Christ are saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved is the promise of God. He makes exactly the same point in Galatians 4.4. Now, if you don't, aren't aware of this, but you know, Galatians is kind of the cut-down version of Romans. A lot of what he says in Galatians, he actually has already said in Romans, so it's just not as detailed. Romans chapter Romans 1 through 16 is, the, is the, the grand thesis on the doctrine of justification and salvation. In Galatians, he kind of sums it up a bit to deal with the Galatian problem. But in Galatians 4.4, 4, he says this. He says, when the fullness of time was come, in due time, same word, in due time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made of the law, to redeem them that were under the law, in the fullness of time. It's vitally important that we understand this. You see, salvation, the salvation that we received because of the love of God was not some afterthought. There wasn't a whoops moment in heaven, you know. God created the world in six literal days, and as Pastor's been telling us, you know, God created the world, and after each day he said it was good, it was good, it was good, and when he finished all the days of creation, he said, God rested, and he said it was very good. And then, he, then Adam and Eve were in the garden and Satan came along as we saw this morning and tempted Eve and Eve took of the fruit and she gave it unto Adam and they were both sinners now before God and in heaven there was a great cry where it was, whoops, what are we going to do now? We didn't expect that to happen. Well, praise God, there was not a whoops moment in glory, you see, because God had planned this before ever he created us. Salvation was not an afterthought. Nothing is an afterthought with God. God sees the end from the beginning. He knows everything. This was not something that was a haphazard makeshift put together to save the, save the planet because something went wrong and Satan had corrupted the earth by tempting Adam and Eve. No, this was God had a plan for our salvation before the foundation of the world. Isn't that Revelation 13.8? It says of Jesus Christ that he was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, Jesus Christ had already died before ever he created man. 
and before ever Christ died. God planned our salvation from eternity past. Now note what he says in Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. At the appointed time, just as God had planned it, just as God had promised it, Jesus Christ came. He lived and he died for the ungodly. He died for sinners like you and me, just as God planned it. Not because I deserved it. Not because there was something in me worth saving. Because, you see, I was ungodly. Not because in some way I had achieved a means by which I could save myself. No, because I was unable. I was without strength. I was powerless. He died because God said he would, so that I might be saved. That Christ died is certain. The death of Christ was foretold in prophecy, typified in the sacrifices of slain beasts that were spoken of by the Lord himself. His enemies never denied it. And this was the sum of the ministry of the apostles, and it's the great article of faith that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It is an undisputed fact that he died. But that he died for the ungodly is a remarkable, amazing, glorious truth. He didn't die for himself. Because he had no sins for which he had to die. He didn't die for the angels, but he died for you and for me. And what's more, he didn't die for just the just of mankind. He died for the ungodly. He died for wretched sinners like you and me. He did not die because we are righteous, because we deserve it. He loved us and died for us because we were ungodly sinners in due time. According to God's plan, Christ died for the ungodly. We can't save ourselves, and Christ died in our place. This is truly amazing. We're said to be without strength, Ungodly sinners and therefore enemies of God. Yet he loved us enough to give his son to die a horrible, agonizing death for us upon Calvary. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet for revenge for a good man would even, uh, would, good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love towards us that while we had sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for us that is revealed to us by Christ and that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit is both unprecedented and unparalleled. There is no merit from our side that could have moved Christ to die for sinners like you and I. Yet he did die for those who were that strength, for those who were the ungodly. Why? Because God loved us. That's the remarkable truth here. 
This is the point the apostle, this is the point the Lord wants you and I to understand. The motivating factor, the thing that drove him to devise the plan of salvation was his love for you and for me. For ungodly, wretched sinners. The thing that moved him to save us is not what we are, but who he is. What moved him to save us is not our love for him, but his love for us. The reason why we're going to get to glory at the end of all of this and salvation is going to finally arrive where God intended to be in glory with him is because this is all of God, not of us. How wonderful is the love of God? Salvation is ours because we, not because we deserve it, but because he loved us. And we should lift our voices tonight in praise. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And because when we were yet without strength, Christ died. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let me close with this. Her mother was living in tenant housing. One day when she went to the shop for groceries, while she was at the store, a fire engine raced by. And she wondered, is the fire engine going to my home? See, she left her baby asleep at home. Forgetting about her groceries, she ran towards her home. Her building was on fire. In fact, it was burning like a matchbox. Rushing to the chief, uh, the fire chief, she cried out, My baby is up there. To which he shouted back, It would be suicide for anyone to go up there now. It's too late. That's then. A young fireman standing by volunteered chief. I have a baby at home. And if my house were on fire, I'd want someone to go up to save my baby. I'll go. The young fireman climbed the stairs. He got to the baby. He threw the baby out of the window into the rescue nets. And just as he did, the house collapsed. And he was burned alive. Twenty years later, standing at a graveside, was a 20-year-old woman sobbing softly. Before her, at the head of this grave, is the statue of a fireman. A man stopping by asked her respectfully, respectfully, was that your father? She replied, no. Again, the man asked, was that your brother? Once again, the lady said no. The man said, well, who then? With tears on her cheeks, she said, that's the man who died for me. Beloved, today we praise God for Jesus Christ, God's Son, the God-man who died for us. Let's never forget that when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you, Father God, that Jesus Christ did come. He did die. And he died for the ungodly. We thank you, Father, that your love drove him. And his love for us drove him to leave heaven's glory. To come to earth. To die upon the cross of Calvary. That we might be saved. Lord, we can never fathom the love of God, but we thank you for it. 
We thank you that Jesus Christ, the God-man, is the man who died for us. Commend your word to our hearts this night, we pray. And if anybody here listening in tonight who doesn't know you as the Savior, may they, Father God, come to know you before it's eternally too late. Bless now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.